Today is our 100th episode for our podcast, and we talked to Robin Johnson. Couldn't be a better opportunity to talk to an Amazon expert, business owner, and somebody who can go toe-to-toe with me on all things Amazon. Robin is the co-founder of Marketplace Blueprint, a digital agency that does similar things to my Amazon guy. And we talk about today all kinds of black swan events, highly unpredictable, impactful events, talk about her journey as she sold on the Amazon platform as well as running her own agency and many other good pieces of advice as you're trying to survive and thrive going into Q4 in 2020 and into next year. Hope you enjoy it. It's a treat. This is the My Amazon Guy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pope, founder of the agency My Amazon Guy. Tune in each week to learn how to grow your Amazon sales. I'm now joined by Robin. Thanks for coming on the My Amazon Guy podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm always uh, happy to get to share and talk about all these geeky Amazon things you can't talk about at dinner parties with normal people. I I know, right? Like, (laughs) So I am really excited because um, there are not very many people in the country that I feel like could have a deep intellectual conversation about Amazon like you and I are going to have today. And this is our 100th podcast episode for my Amazon guy. And, and I, and it's a real treat to, to make you, uh, have, be our guest for our 100th. So thank you very much. I'm excited to be on. Thank you for kind of the honor of being that hundredth show and congratulations on getting to hundred shows. Not a lot of podcasts do that. So I know it's, it's a big deal. So super excited by it. We've, we, you know, we've covered everything from, uh, journeys to experts and tools and everything in between. So on our podcast today, I am excited to talk, um, partially about your journey and partially about your wisdom. So let's let's get into that. So so Robin, um, you you've had a difficult last year, as I understand it, and and walk us through through that. And 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 we're kind of calling this the Black Swan podcast because COVID's a black swan, and what I mean by that is uh, it's a highly improbable, highly impactful event that you can't predict. And you also experienced one of those in your lives your life. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that to give some of our, our listeners some, some background on your story. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, a little bit before January 19, 2019, um, it, our business was going really well. I was very busy. I was running basically three businesses. Uh, you know, things were, you know, we were always going, uh, we have, we've got a big family. We've got, uh, you know, six people in our house and two dogs. And it was kind of all of the great things that kind of go along with that. And I had been feeling kind of tired and run down, but you know, when you're running three businesses, it's hard to tell, like, you know, I had some things checked out. They said I was fine. Um, but you know, I was like, well, I'm running three businesses. Maybe I should, you know, at the new year, I should kind of look at maybe tapering that down a little bit. Maybe I'm just tired. So I tried to rest more. And then one day I went to go pick up my daughter from cooking classes. She was, she was nine at the time and she would take little cooking classes at the local grocery store. And I just walking in and walking back out, I couldn't breathe. It was kind of like uh, when you've jogged a little bit too far and just like, the... so I, I, I drove us home and then I went to my husband and I said, I think we need to go to the emergency room. And it started to get worse and worse. And uh, they took us back really fast, which is always, isn't it? You don't really want them to like rush that's, you to the back. Yeah, that's <laughs> a little scary. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was this moment where, you know, uh, we were actually driving from the urgent care to the ER and they, you know, they had said, you need to go quickly. And I was trying to like, not freak out my husband. I was like, you know, not that I'm going to die, 
you know, but if I died, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Eddie would help you with this part of the business and kind of wrapping this piece up and Cindy can help you with this piece over here. And, you know, like, so it was, you know, I I had this moment where I really thought I I really might die because I couldn't breathe. My heart was racing. Like I used my phone and, you know, like, you know, like laying in the car, my heartbeat was 130, 38. Uh, wow. resting. So, I mean, I just, I was like, I must be having a heart attack. I'm going to die. And so we get to the, the, um, the hospital and they're like, you're not having a heart attack. And they did, they wanted to do another test. And so they came back in and they said, we found two things. One's you have a pulmonary embolism, which if you watch Grey's Anatomy, you know, that never really ends well. So <laughs> um, basically a blood clot in my lung. And at the same time, they also found a nodule on my thyroid, which ended up being thyroid cancer. Two for one. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I was hospitalized for several days and then um, I had to then be have a surgery, which took me out for several more weeks and um, thyroid, your thyroid runs everything. And so while I was adjusting that, you know, for the majority of the week, the year, because of, you know, either the treatment for the cancer, the treatment for the embolism, or, you know, reactions to side effects of different things, I was barely able to work 20 hours a week for mostly three quarters of the week. So I went from working a lot uh, and having a really active family life where I was go, go, go to, I watched a lot of TV last year. (laughs) I slept a lot last year. Nothing like a near death experience to make you think, hmm, wish I had a standard operating procedure (laughs) in business. (laughs) Well, and luckily we did. So I'm very systems oriented. You know, I'm, I'm all about trying to get people to do systems. And so um, most of our clients didn't even know I was out. Um, the only people who, who knew that we were, that I was really down were, you know, close friends that I, you know, I told what was going on. But for the most part, I was able to keep our business completely running. In fact, we actually had year over year growth last year, even nice. with me being out. Um, but that, that if we that's had, just props to the system you built, which is fantastic. That's good to hear. And the team, right? So, you know, if I, you know, my, my husband works within, uh, within the company here. And then, um, you know, especially if my assistant, like he's not an assistant anymore, uh, Hector, he's really, you know, he took over a lot of things and he really t- took it as a good chance to expand his role. How, how, how young is your youngest kid? So my youngest kid is she's 10 now. Okay. So, so we have three kids under five. And I've always kind of wondered, like, when can I pull my wife back into the business? Because, like, right now it's impossible. So was there was there a certain age, like, when your kids were a certain age, like, you felt like, you know, both you I'm and the husband could work on it? I'm not a person to ask. Okay. So I started my business when my daughter was six months old and my son was three and a half. All right. And I did that while I was working at a church. Um, so I, I, we, and we built up our business really fast. So I'm, uh, if you're trying to, if you're trying to manage young kids and business, I'd really recommend looking into the Montessori kind of edu- uh, uh, pedology of education. You can do kind of what's called play and walk away. So you get them started on self correcting yeah. tasks. And so that was how I was able to run my business, uh, you know, when, until they were about uh, until they were in preschool age, yeah, you know, we we had them, you know, I had a mother's helper for a little while. And so I think that if you hired a mother's helper, you could probably do it today if yeah. she wanted to. <laughs> Easier said than done, especially with COVID, man, the demand on, on help right now, um, very difficult. All right. So um, that is quite the black swan event and highly impactful in uh, unpredictable event in your life. And it had you make some changes both personally, family, 
as well as for your business. And so we also had a big black swan event this year with, with COVID um, and that threw everybody off guard as well. So by now, most people know how to, you know, get around and operate. So we're not going to dwell on this question, but maybe just for one question here, what advice would you give somebody so that they could learn from your story? So being in the hospital, being out of a thing, you would think that, you know, one of the things that I really got clear on was that it's really, I had really kind of gotten up into or gotten caught in a, tra- a trap. And that trap is I'm going to work really hard and one day, someday my life will turn out and um, I'll just keep working hard and I'll, you know, you might not have tomorrow. So you might think I will get my systems up tomorrow. I will get my systems up after Q4. I will get my systems up after this year. Uh, if you don't do it now, you might not get the opportunity. And also, you don't know, how, especially with COVID, you don't know how many more Christmases you have with your parents. You don't have how many more Christmas, Christmases you have with your kids. So while it is really important to drive your business and to work your business and to have a plan, you know, work your plan, you know, work your plan, your work, work your plan. It is also really important to build in in ink time for your family and, and create a life that you really love living. And I think that that has made this year has actually been, I even hate to say it because so many people are struggling so much, but this year has been really, you know, except for the, obviously the quarantine, and <laughs> like, you know, because, uh, you know, so, sounds spent- like you got a positive outlook despite all the circumstances though. Yeah, no, I really focus on uh, making sure that I make time for the things that are important in my business and triage. Uh, And, you know, I always kind of looked at things with kind of a triage approach in my business. Um, But even more now, I saw somebody posted, a friend posted a meme that said, you know, especially being a working mom is kind of like juggling a bunch of balls all at the same time. But some of those balls are plastic and some of them are glass. And so, (laughs) you know, as you're focusing on which balls, you're going to have to drop some balls. Are you sure the balls, you sure there's not like an ax and a chainsaw? (laughs) Sometimes, you know, and, you know, and so so sometimes people, you know, like, um, so I was very, I've been very blessed to be mentored by uh, Sharon Lecter, who co-wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, And she also- Fantastic book. We actually talked about it maybe four or five podcasts ago with uh, Wayne the Wolf Wolford and his Amazon journey. Um, So yeah, I'm a huge fan too. So, you know, that book, you know, is, it's, you know, she can tell she's very business oriented, but she also kind of um, worked uh, on the project for Think and Grow Rich for Women. And um, in the Think and Grow Rich for Women that she has, a, a there's this chapter in there called um, My Big Life. And it really talks about how, you know, women are especially always looking for work-life balance. And there is no such thing as balance. Balance the, Balancing indicates everything's going to be static. So whether right. you're a dad or you don't have yeah, any something kids. Something has to give. Yeah. So you, it's, it's, you know, you're going to, sometimes you're going to be, uh, you know, you might spend too many to, uh, you know, have a really good time with your friends and neglect your business for a day. And sometimes you're going to neglect your family for your business, but it's making sure that the overall, when you look that there's bad, you know, that there's, there's, you're really focusing on the things that are going to give you the life that you want. Um, so one of the things where I see people struggle is they is when you go to outsource, when you go to systemize, it's going to slow you down more than it helps you in the beginning. And you're going to be like, oh, this is frustrating. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't hire that agency or whatever, right? Or or hire the Philippines. Um, it would be faster for me assistant. to just do it myself. Right? Exactly. Which is a classic 
uh, problem I run into all the time because I've got the uh, Meyer Biggs uh, personality trait for um, uh, for architect, and I just you know want to learn how it works and do it myself. But it's it does take some like serious work to let some things go. Um, and you have and, to be okay that not nobody's going to do the job the way that you do the job. No, definitely. You know, I have an amazing team, and and there's still things I'm like, oh, I would have done this differently. Um, but you have to say if you you have to be really clear. One of the things that Sharon taught me is, you know, she would ask people, you know, if money and time, time and money wasn't a consideration, what would you be doing with your life? And building a business that supports that. So, you know, if you know that if you if you didn't have to worry about money, if you didn't have to worry about having enough time, that you would spend your time traveling, or you would spend your time um, working for help make make things better for foster kids. You need to start building your business in a direction that will ultimately get you to that destination. I'm going to be farming mangoes in Mexico someday. So peace guys. No. (laughs) Well, okay. But let's take that as an example. If you know that that's what you want to do, then do you really want to build a business that relies on you for your own logistics or, you know, like if, if, if you're going to, if you're planning on moving to Europe, then, you know, unless you want to be working in the middle of the night, you need to have something where it, you know, that your presence at a certain time period isn't. And, And so starting to look at exactly what you want and then building a business and building building up the systems that support that possibility. So, you know, if you know you want to go to a foreign country and travel, that means that, you know, you need to have a team that isn't rely on your physical presence there and is able to be empowered to make decisions on their own. Which, which is an interesting culture to build. When I went to China to learn how to source um, a few years back and, and having conversations with Chinese suppliers and, you know, keeps you up late at night. There was a lifestyle where I was like, you know what? I'm an eight hour sleep guy. This is not going to work for me. So <laughs> I, I stepped away from anything related to sourcing. There are many, many good sourcing experts out there. I know how to source. I'm not an expert in it. So that's one thing I outsource for or referral, uh, refer out to. So, um, <clears throat> so last comment on, on kind of the when things are going well concept, right? Like you don't take time to have a backup and, you know, be ready to go. So like, what, what, what was, what would you say the number one thing that you did to succeed, um, to have that growth while, while having to, you know, deal with that near death experience stuff. So the biggest thing is you, you will like trying, waiting until you have time to create systems is like waiting until you're ready to have children. It, <laughs> it, it will never happen. And there's never a good time to have children. There's never a good time to write processes. And you and I both have a pile of kids. So yeah. <laughs> So, you know, what I would say is that you need to carve this out in ink, like you, you know, some of you already have religious obligations, or you're really dedicated to your exercise regimen, or you're really dedicated to being there for your kids' uh, soccer practices, you have to put this in your calendar, like one of those things. This is in ink that you're putting some time in uh, and you create some accountability around that. So, you know, I have an accountability partner that we talk every other week. And one of the big things we talk about is, you know, systemizing our plans for marketing. And, um, and we really are, you know, she's really good at saying, Hmm, that doesn't sound like that's in alignment with what you told me you really wanted for your life. So you got to report to somebody is what you're telling me. Yeah. Somebody to return and report to makes sense. It was a Gretchen Rubin. Uh, it's like the habit of happiness or something, ha- something along that. But if you, you, 
Google Gretchen Rubin and the happy uh, habit, something like that. Um, she talks about how there's four different kinds of people. Um, there's the rebel that as soon as you tell them they, they need to do something, they don't want to do that. So if you're that person, I'm not telling you you have to do this. I'm saying it might be a good idea. And then there's people who, uh, again, I forget all of them. It's been a while since I read them. But, you know, most people, there's some people who are autodidactic that, you know, if they set a goal, they will make it happen. They don't need any input. They don't need any pressure. And then there's other folks that um, you're really good in keeping your obligations to to your school, to here, your Here church. are the four types. I, I Googled it here. Okay. Upholders yes. generally meet both inner and outer expectations, meaning they don't let others or themselves down. Questioners meet only their internal expectations. They push so back it has to against. Mean, they have to have a good reason. Yeah. So they won't do it unless it makes sense, right? And then they push back against all external expectations. Obligers meet outer expectations, but not always inner ones. Um, I think I think I'm the questioner. My wife is the obliger. Uh, she's always serving others over herself. And then finally, rebels resist both inner and outer experts. They value authenticity and self determination. I love it. Uh, I'll put a so, link to so this. So, a questioner might would like yeah. A questioner would might say like, okay, I want to do this, and so I'll do it. A rebel, as soon as like they make the decision, they don't want to do it even even if it was something that they put on themselves. Um, but most people are obligers, and that means that you are more likely to keep a commitment if you have an external. Uh, accountability. That's why some people need accountability partners. Some people don't, but most people, it helps to have that accountability. I'm pretty good at getting things done when I set my mind to something. Um, but knowing that I have an accountability partner and um, having coaches and having mentors that, I, you know, that I pay a good amount of money uh, for some of my coaches to, to make sure that I have everything. Um, that has been a big thing. Um, so, you know, not only do I have accountability partners, but I have a high performance coach uh, through the organization called Landmark Education. And she's really, you know, she really has helped me throughout the years. We've, you know, sometimes I'm on with her, sometimes I'm off with her. I don't have her all the time, but, uh, you know, she really is good at like helping, helping me look at creating a future instead of just kind of, uh, living in. I think that's one of the things that as business owners, that can be this big trap is that you're not creating your business intentionally. You're just kind of saying, well, you know, I, oh, I was yeah. talking to a coaching client that's like, well, you know, what do I do? Cause I have to grow next year. I have to grow next year. And I said, well, let's take a second. Do you have to grow? next year and she's like well of course i have to grow i have to grow every well, business ever must grow or it's dying yeah yeah no that's not that sometimes what's yeah. needed for real growth is a year of plateau for you to build out your systems build out your team build out your cash flow whatever it is instead of getting five really percent growth every year you plateau for one and then you can grow 50 that next year yeah that makes yeah. sense you know, so it's it's not so it's easy to just say, well, this is the next step. This is the next step because I'm here and then I need to go there. But if you do that, you know, I actually work with, you know, one of the things that I've done over the years is I've coached a lot of really high volume private label and arbitrage and wholesale folks. And, uh, you know, it, it can end up where you get everything that you wanted on paper five years ago. You have that $5 million a year business. You have that $8 million a year business. Uh, you have your warehouse and your team of people and you're still miserable and you still don't have enough cash and, you know, you still don't have enough time uh, or, you know, you're not doing any of the things that, that you really started your business to do. So you have to build intentionally and really look at is, you know, what got you here might not get you there. So it's not just about scaling up what you're already doing. Sometimes you have to, especially you, uh, as you have rapid growth as a brand owner or uh, any business owner, shifting that mindset from elbow grease 
and scrappiness and getting it done to building up a kind of more CEO kind of mentality around the way that you operate your business. We're, we're actually going through that motion right now with the My Amazon Guy agency. So we have both um, um, full service clients and then we also have kind of like project-based clients. And so we're revamping the, the website to kind of retool to try and chase or focus more on full service clients. And, and as a consequence, I'm, you know, I'm rolling out more of a coaching service for problem-based or project-based clients so that, you know, I could shell out, you know, you need to talk about creative, cool. You talk to my creative coach and you talk about tactics or strategy, you talk to this person um, instead of taking a, a project-based approach. Cause it's kind of complicated to add in a seller central account. You got user permissions, then you got to get um, back and forth and deliveries and all that stuff. So we're, you know, we're, we're going through that motion right now, kind of intentionally ourselves. So I, so I like that. Um, so I'm a, I'm a guy that can only do work on a desktop computer. I need to get in my office and focus in. Some others um, can travel and, and laptop it. Um, have, have you gone through a transformation there yourself or what, what, are, what would you con- consider yourself? So I work on my laptop on all sorts of locations all the time. So we'll do, you know, at least you, not this year, but normally we'll do, you know, two or three or four week vacation throughout the year, but I'll work. Uh, you know, I have a friend, Cindy, that has, you know, she's really done what Mike Michalowicz says uh, in uh, his, uh, in his books. And he's, she's been able to take four week uh, breaks without even checking in on her business. But the idea of a laptop lifestyle in Amazon is ridiculous. What, what do you mean? What kind of laptop are you using for your passive income? Come on, Robin. <laughs> you know, it, you can have a life, you, you can be checking in on your laptop and you can be working. I've, I've had the, you know, the privilege of going to different countries and working. I've got, my sister lives by the beach. And so I'll go work by the beach. Um, but one of the things that you need to think about is you will need to be checking in and, um, you will need to be doing consistent work all the way through. Now, the type of work that you do is different. So when I first started, I was doing a lot of shopping, a lot of sourcing, a lot of shipping, uh, you know, a lot of product creation, these kinds of things. Um, now, what I'm really looking at doing is I'm managing teams. I'm setting up, um, you know, goals. I'm monitoring things. So you can change the way that you're doing so it's less manual labor, but you still need to be actively engaged in your business. I know many multimillionaires uh, and they are all still active in their businesses to at least some degree. It's pretty rare unless somebody was gifted a business or, you know, they, you know, they, they had some sort of inheritance or it's gotten right. to the point where it's like at an IPO level that, you know, they're able to check out and still be able to cash in. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, going back to the rich dad, poor dad comment, right? There's four quads, you're employed, time equals money. If you're self-employed, time equals money times two then you're a business owner. The transformation between self-employed and business owner, though, by definition in the book, to be a business owner, your business has to run itself. Um, You're not in the day-to-day affairs. And then finally, quad four, investor. Um, So yeah, I mean, uh, very difficult to make that transition between quad three and four going from self-employed to business owner, no doubt. Um, all right. Being so let's... a business owner, really, if you if you if you follow Sharon, and you know Sharon is great. So you know, it, I know everybody thinks of Rich Dad Poor Dad. They think of of Robert, but Robert didn't. Robert just had the idea for the game. Did you know that actually the book wasn't supposed to be a book? It was just supposed to be a brochure for the game. I had no idea. 
they, they, you know, they were, they thought their brand was Cashflow 101, when really when people knew them, they knew them as the Rich Dad, Poor Dad because the book was so popular. Wow. Uh, you know, so, but if you talk, if you follow Sharon, what she'll, one of the things that she'll teach you is that uh, you, you really have to, you really have to go from being an owner operator to being a business owner. And there's nothing wrong with being an owner operator. There's a, there's a time and a place for that. Uh, and there's benefits. You, you're, you're able to be more flexible. You know, you, you can, uh, you know, you have less accountability. So you have more freedom to kind of change course. However, there's also a cost to that. And that cost is you have less redundancy. So if you are going to remain an owner operator, if you're saying, you know what, I've tried to, I've tried to outsource and I've tried to build teams and I've tried to build systems and I just, I don't do well at it, then that's okay. You don't have to, you can choose to stay in that quadrant. Know that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be fewer um, opportunities to kind of reduce your workflow over time. So you need to really be investing heavily in retirement so that you do not have to do this forever. And you also need to be investing really heavily right now into making sure you're able to self-insure in case you are taken out of the business. So if you don't build the systems, if you're like, I'm just not going to do that, then that's okay. But you need to build up a nice cushion of cash for if you were to take it, be taken out by COVID or by something else, that you would be able to, you and your family will be able to survive through that. I think, I think it's wise advice, whether you're a business owner or not, just to have a pad so you can go six months without income. Um, instead of buying that yacht or that boat or the new house or car, or whatever it is, um, good advice. Uh, definitely something you would hear on a conservative talk show radio host who might say, you know, stay out of debt. Um, all right. So let's transition the podcast uh, <clears throat> towards kind of just topics of what's on your mind. So Amazon is constantly changing. Uh, it's been a really rough last 30 days for our agency, keeping up with all the catalog changes and all the hidden suppressions and all the bull crap that Amazon's changing in their UI and OTP breaking. And I, I, I probably could drone on for five minutes, so I'll stop. <laughs> what's on your mind though? Like what's, what, what changes are, are keeping you up at night or what are you seeing that people could learn from? So, you know, I, I think it's really important to always look at when Amazon makes a change, what problem are they trying to solve? And sometimes we don't know that because we just don't have enough information. But, you know, with IPIs, um, and, you know, I know that affected a lot of people, especially in the private label community, uh, with uh, inbound restrictions, Amazon is anticipating that there is going to be a problem at the warehouse. Yeah, uh, I think, and, I think they know, thought they were going to be completely filled up and literally no room. And that's kind of what we're seeing, yeah? Yeah, well, and so, you know, when I even when I talk with large brands, brands that are in Home Depot and Lowe's or, you know, brands that are in every store in their category, um, what I'm hearing is, is they're concerned about the logistics of being able to one stay in stock to being able to get that item out to the customer. And so I know that you've talked a little bit about that, those logistic pieces and that people need to do that. Um, but I also think it's really, that I think, the, you know, and so people have been better getting better at looking at what their stock levels are, looking at their supply chain, looking at their logistics and pride. But that also means looking at your cash flow. There's a chance that for some of you, your Q4 has already happened this year. And so you need to be monitoring your cash flow for that, if that's the case. So if because you're because of the way that your system is set up, you're not able to to to, to get that uh, redundancy in your logistics, you might not get the normal Q4 bump that you normally do. Not because people aren't buying, but because you're having problems getting your products to the customer. Um, and the other thing we need to look at is, you know, 
what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks could affect consumer confidence. If there's, you know, if there's um, any discord about how the election is going to be taking place, that could affect things like the dollar, it could affect inflation, uh, and it could affect how much people are doing as far as shopping. Same thing with any stimulus bills. So you kind of do need to not be obsessed with current events, but you do need to be watching uh, and kind of monitoring that because that will affect, um, you know, but even um, the big box stores like Home Depot, normally they give our clients like this, how many units we think we're going to need. This year, they, you know, for some of our clients, they didn't give those estimates because they don't know. Um, and so flexibility is really going to be key this year as well. I think, I think it's another black swan mark, right? Like the unknown, right? So like um, there's an actual book called the black swan. And that's what I'm referring to this podcast with. Um, and, and the dude in that book just completely indicts the bell curve, right? And, and this year is just like a case example of how the bell curve couldn't help you handle anything this year. And even Home Depot is not even using the bell curve right now. They're like, I don't know. I mean, we might sell a million fridges. We might, we might sell one. We're not really sure. Everybody bought a second fridge this year because they're staying at home. They need places to put food and whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good observation. What, uh, what else is on your mind? Um, you know, there, the, the, if you're if you were a member of the catalog team, know that you were missed. I know you're probably still working, but we really miss being able to talk to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a you know so the. the the reduced capacity to actually reach somebody because so many of Amazon folks are working at home. And I'm so glad that they're working at home and that they're being safe. And I'm so glad that Amazon is, is doing everything they can to protect the workers that, you know, aren't essential to be physically present, but uh, it has made things harder. And so uh, I, I mean, we have a Facebook group that helps uh, support people with like listing changes and optimizations and ads. And um, one of the things that people are like, you know, I, I tried and I'm not getting through, I tried to make my listing change is not going through and I kind of feel like a broken record because it's about being professional professionally persistent and you Great have to, to keep it. you know keep going at it going at it remember these are people remember it's not their fault uh remember some of them you they, know they may the, not the, even know what's going on to be honest like, no, and like on turnover. 925 I thought there was an algorithm change nobody knows anything every no. person I've talked to at Amazon they're like they're kind of skirting talking to me about it because they don't know right like and, and even if they could, they wouldn't be able to tell you. Probably not. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, when you're having those conversations, you can probably get a sense like if they know or they don't, right? But uh, yeah, they don't. I don't think they do. Um, so, so like uh, all of these things that are changing or breaking, like take hidden suppressions, for example. Right now, it's like in Solar Central, if you go to the drop down for suppressions, it says zero. Well, then you go on Amazon.com and search your ASIN and it doesn't come up. It's a hidden suppression. Nobody at support knows anything about this. And what we figured out is if you do a template upload for your category ID, it fixes it. Um, so there's probably some things like that you've probably picked up on. What, what kind of tips or management techniques besides the persistence one you mentioned already would you suggest people engage in right now? If you don't have brand registry and you have the ability to get brand registry, you should take the time to do that. Even if you that have one's to do a no brainer. That, that was a no brainer like two years ago. So if somebody I needs know. that advice today, they're in trouble. But but I will say this: uh, it's not too late. Go file a trademark. We we at my Amazon guy do we do file trademarks and and there's a really good development on this in the last two weeks. There's now a way without using IP Accelerator, you can now submit your brand for brand registry with a pending trademark. Brand spanking new, um, which is really cool. 
and then you know because a lot of the things people are getting are those uh, you know i think it's like five five four five four four five or there's a couple of errors that people are yes. getting quite quite often yes that error um, is and, annoying i do not like yeah. that error and so the other thing is, you know, you need to be, if you, you know, if you, you need to be really clear on the policies for GTN exemptions, you need to be really clear. Uh, there's been more mismatching issues um, that people have been having. Um, and, you know, the, you, you need to be really thoughtful in the way that you construct your seller support tickets. Uh, what er, we recommend- error code 5665 is the yes. Amazon must approve your brand error. Um, and uh, that takes about seven to 10 days on average to solve from our experience. And you have to ask for approval. It's really super weird. And it seems like that, that change is a little bit older. Um, that one dates back to June. Um, but basically, uh, they're, they're, we're trying to prop up brand registry and prop up brands. I think that's why they did that. Um, doesn't affect old sellers. It's only when you're bringing a new brand to your account. So if you haven't run into that area yet, you won't until... Yeah, well, a new brand to it, your account. Yeah, it, 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 I don't think it has to do with age of the account. I think it has to do with the relationship of the account to the new brand. Yeah, that's, but, I yeah, agree. Yeah, um, but and then there, there's been more missed the error that you get when the GTIN doesn't match the database at GS1. Um, that's been coming up more often, especially for people who are recycling UPCs, which again, we should have known this for a long time ago. The writing has been on the wall for a long time, but a lot of people were able to get away with it before. And so they didn't change their processes. What's iron ironic about this is I've actually had more challenges with GS1 registered UPCs than I have with quote unquote recycled UPCs. Um, It seems like the Chinese hacked GS1. Uh, That's at least what I found. It's weird. I haven't had that experience, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. It, you know, it just hasn't been, you know, what we've we've dealt with mostly. But, you know, we're mostly working with brand owners themselves. And so um, because we have access to brand registry, we're not running into some of the same problems. Um, I would say that, you know, the lost inventory is going to be a bigger problem. And, you know, it takes a long time. So if you hire somebody that's supposed to get, you know, get that reimbursement, you need to plan on that's not going to be a weekend kind of thing. That takes like a six long weeks. time. Yeah. yeah Reconciliation long. right now. Yeah. Good luck until January. That's all I got to say. We have somebody and they're like, I thought you, and you said a long time, but I didn't, I thought you meant like two or three weeks. And I was like, two or three weeks would have been fast because we have to submit the ticket and then we have to wait for it. You know, we have to wait the 48 hours and then we have to wait the 15 days. And we have to, yeah. So it's, it's about consistent you know, professionally persistent follow-up. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I think that uh, Amazon has changed a lot of their, uh, have added so many new ad types uh, and so many new um, things to their advertising portfolio that uh, you are, you could be missing out significantly if you're only running sponsored products, especially on highly competitive products. Um, if you really, I, I, Amazon uh, had a, a a conference specifically for high volume advertisers and agencies. And one of the things that they talked about in that um, thing was the, you know, how much better uh, results people were getting when they use the combination of the ad products. So people who did uh, sponsored brands, sponsored display and sponsored products did better than people who just did sponsored products and people who'd use DSP plus those other ad types also did even better. Now DSP is out of range for most small brands, um, but you can use sponsored brands sponsored display and sponsored products to not only do a lot of cross advertising, but also to be able to, uh, you know, get some bids in that aren't quite as expensive because fewer people really understand the sponsored display and sponsored brands. I I think probably one of my favorite positive changes about Amazon this year was around advertising types. 
um, video ads, which have been around almost a full year now, um, really took off uh, back in June, in my opinion. Um, and then we've got the, just in the last month, we've seen display ads with text. And then one, um, I don't remember the timing on this one, but it was also relatively recent in the last three or four months, which was custom brand headline images. Mm -hmm. um, and most people are still ignoring that one for some reason, um, despite the fact it gets like, I don't know, twice as much space on, on the platform. Um, and so Amazon is really pushing stores. They yeah, really they are. are really pushing stores. So Which, when Amazon's really pushing something, I really focus on it because there's some other, there could be some other product that about to come you know, out. Yeah. And um, I, if you're not sure, like if you have a store and you're trying to decide, you know, should I invest the time in really upgrading that or not, you can find the, you know, you can actually see how much traffic that store page is getting, but it's not just about the traffic. It's about the way that you can run sponsored brands to those specific things. And they've made some changes now with stores. So you can have it so that, you know, if, if just for Black Friday, you want your store to look differently, you can set Big that change. up. So it goes, and that makes a big difference. And keeping your store updated is going to be more important than it used to be because it's all about what's relative to what people expect see from other big brands. Um, I think it, stores can be a, a great way to show that your brand has a little bit more authority uh, and they can definitely help with the conversion that you're getting from your sponsored brands. I, I feel like Amazon is trying to allow for more what I like to call human marketing. Yeah. And I think the brand store is a great case example of that video ads, the actual text and display ads, all great case examples of the human element coming to fruition. So um, while a lot of uh, PPC automation has been, you know, pretty hot topic, um, we see, we see that, that, you know, that PPC automation is just going to allow you more time to do the human element marketing. In my opinion, it won't be a re replacement for some of that, especially with all those changes, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, so, all right. So that you, you've covered a lot of ground on, on some of these things. What, what do you think, um, as, as we look into Q4, what's the most important thing somebody could do right now? Uh, I mean, I feel like, and I don't want to harp on it, but I mean, you can, you can talk logistics. I get it. Like you need to have a 3P offer or, or you know, more, uh, you need to have a, a multi uh, merchant, merchant fulfilled, fulfilled offer. and FBA. And, and you need to both. Yeah. Which and, by the way, we observed on prime day, they actually flipped from FBA to merchant mm -hmm. fulfilled in the buy box. Cause I, I honestly think just got overwhelmed. So I'm actually kind of wondering on black Friday uh, weekend or Turkey five as Amazon's calling it. Um, if people should turn off merchant fulfilled, but then flip it back on, on the Tuesday following cyber Monday, just, but um just to avoid having uh, the merchant fulfilled orders or whatnot. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm still thinking about it. What are your thoughts? I think that, I mean, I, so if, if I could have somebody set up ideally, like I could bibbity boppity boo, I would have it. So they had merchant fulfill offers in at least two parts in the country. Um, especially if you're a high volume seller, because you, you want to be able to get that quickly. You yep. need to be. And so the biggest thing is you need to be stress testing now. So you turn your FBA offer for a day off and then do some merchant fulfill and, or do it with a different product and see how many orders can your team get out in a day without wanting to kill themselves um, because, <laughs> and how many is doable uh, like on a day that's not going 
going to kill your staff. We're all going to want to quit. Because if you have three weeks of that, you're going to have attrition and staff turnover is very expensive. So right. do you need to bring additional warm bodies in? Do you need to reduce how many you're able to, to work with? Do you need to partner like yesterday with another 3PL that can help you reduce that staff? How are you going to make sure that those go out on time? Because uh, late shipment rates can get your account spended like nothing else. You know, so I, I think that that's going to be really, really important. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, monitoring your supply chains and making sure that you're being proactive enough to make sure you have inventory all the way through Christmas and into Q1. Um, because especially it looks like we could be heading towards another round of of of, yep. of craziness. Yeah, this morning, uh, <laughs> yeah. Europe just passed the United States for COVID deaths per million. Um, mm-hmm. So Europe is on fire again. And it wouldn't surprise me if Asia falls suit here pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, those are things we can't control as business owners, but what we can control is what we do about it. Um, I, I, you know, a couple months ago, I, I made the claim that I felt like just in time supply chain management is dead. And, uh, that's a bold statement, right? I just think it's in a coma. I think it's it will be coma. back. <laughs> it I might think be dead. It, we don't know. It's in a medically induced <laughs> coma where thoughts, thoughts and prayers, uh, and, yeah. and it, I think it will be back. But I think that for the next, until things stabilize, um, I think that it probably is going to be just-in-time inventory is is really risky right now. Because if, you know, especially, so think about how bad it is normally on a normal year, getting that first Q1 restock around um, Chinese New Year. It's always been rough. It's always been rough. And now everybody's already backed up. Components are backed up. Uh, we had a company that was already to start doing a big ad spend. They went to their manufacturer and they said, the cans that we need to package are good. They're just not, we don't have them. You know, because everybody, nobody knows how to cook. So everybody's using more cans. So you, you might find that even though you're doing tennis balls, because people are buying a lot of canned soup, you might not be able to get the material you need to make the lids for your, your tennis that's, balls. That's freaking crazy. Know? Yeah. So, you know, you need to be thinking, you need to be talking to all the way up your supply chain, really be clear on what you're going to be dealing with. Um, And then you also need to really be managing your cash flow, Uh, especially if you have employees, you have a a responsibility to make sure that if you hit that bump, you're not going to have to lay people off as much as you can. Well, wise words there. all right. So, so you beat me to my next question, which was, okay, now that we get through Q4, what should we do for next year as we look ahead and kind of the same answer, make sure your supply chain is intact. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's the obvious one. And um, don't rush for the gold. I mean, yeah. there's going to be another mask, another hand sanitizer. Or fidget spinner. Yeah. Fidget spinner. You know, like there's going to be something. <laughs> when you all run to that, you kill it. So let other people run and kill that. And then you take something that they ran away from that was doing well before. And then you can and just folks stay in your lane and stay in your core competencies. Uh, in general, that does better. I had so many companies that came to us and like, well, we normally make uh, high bounce balls, but now we're making desanitizing wipes. Well, they don't know about the safety requirements. They don't know about hazmat. They don't know about any of the things that you really need to know. And so now they're stuck with them. And then um, all the competitions come in and the supplies way bigger than the demand fidget yep. spinner of 2020 
Yep, is the, yeah, so there will be something else of that nature that's going to be coming up. There always is, um, you know, try to avoid that temptation and really just focus on your core competencies. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you have backups upon backups, not only for your health, but about your cash flow for, you know, look at, you know, this might be a good time to say, okay, if my staff wasn't able to, to be packaging goods or be doing something else what else could we offer um you know but it you know the big companies that i'm working with um you know they are really looking at managing their supply chain because they know everything depends on that like yes listing changes are incredibly frustrating yes the warehouse distribution changes and all of that, that they're all frustrating but none of that matters if you don't have goods to sell well i think i think that's very wise words from you robin um all right so uh, as we kind of wrap up our podcast today, um, tell me something that's dear to you specifically. What makes your heart sing? Um, well, you have to say your kids first, right? So obviously my kids. Uh, the, what, one, the, one, of, one of my guests, I, I, I thought they were about to say kids and they're like, nope, I wanted a motorcycle when I was 14 and I moved out of my parents' house. So <laughs> there, there is no better It can be sound. whatever you want. I There's won't judge. A- there's no better sound than hearing your kids belly laugh. That's the best sound in the belly world. Belly laugh, yeah. Um, but outside of my kids and my husband, which is a given because I'm, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with my husband and um, my kids are like my everything. And it's the reason we started our business is so that we could be, have a more secure life for them. Um, but outside of that, it's Disney. I missed, I have a mask that says missing home. Um, so, wow. and it has got a castle on it. I love Disney. Um, I, you know, I, I was, there was a point in our business where I read Walt Disney's, um, a, bio, a biography on Walt Disney by Neil G- uh, Grabler, Gabler, and just the amount of failure and the amount of dedication, how he threw his, his like his whole self into things, even just his hobbies. Uh, it made me really fall in love with it. I had a lot of, I grew up in LA, so I had a lot of nostalgia around Disney. Um, you know, like I cannot be with my dad, but when I'm running Star Tours, I feel my dad's arms around me. Wow. Uh, you know, like it's, 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 uh, it's a special place. And, you know, I did a lot of arbitrage at Disney for a long time. So we have a lot of memories <laughs> there. <laughs> Uh, so it, you know, uh, Disney makes me really happy. Um, but nothing makes me more happy than my kids and seeing them happy. And, well, uh, Disney and kids can go together. So you got a, you got a double win there. That's great. I do. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, last question for you. Anything else you want to talk about today or any parting thoughts? Um, I would just say, you know, when you go to outsource, you need to think about when you go to hire out or provide redundancy, you can either hire a specialist or you can train an in-house team to do it. And so, you know, if you're hiring an in-house team or, you know, if you're hiring somebody to do it for you, you need to really look at, you know, what case studies can they provide you? What level of authority do they have? Uh, you know, are do they demonstrate, can you, can you do a smaller contract with them to kind of uh, make sure that they are going to be the right fit for you. Uh, but once you let them have it, you need to let them have it and you need to have really clear measures on how you're going to determine whether that relationship is a success. If you're going to bring it in-house, then you need to know enough about it to be able to train people how to do it or you need to hire that specialist to come in and train your team. Um, and then when you're hiring somebody in-house, you know, the benefits are that they're all completely focused on your brand. So that's, of course, a benefit. Um, but if you, that also means that you need to be 
managing proactively. If you haven't read, uh, you know, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber in a long time, you really need to reread it. Um, and, you know, management by abdication can be a real quick way to let your business um, kind of circle the drain because it takes a while for you to realize things have gone off the rails. So it's not just about creating the systems and, and outsourcing and hiring. It's also about managing the people. Uh, and so once you've read um, Four Disciplines of Execution, the other two books I really highly recommend are Rocket Fuel and The Four Disciplines of Execution. You know, those are two really important ones, especially if you're past a million dollars in revenue, which m most of you are, uh, that you want to be looking at those two books as well. Well, I think, th I think those are wise words. We're going to throw as many of the um, value adds with links into the description notes as we can. I've got Rich Dad, Poor Dad linked. Um, as well as many of the other things we name dropped on our pod today. Robin, thanks for coming on the My Amazon Guy podcast. It was a pleasure to, to be on the show. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the My Amazon Guy podcast. This was the My Amazon Guy podcast with Stephen Pope. Each episode helps you grow your sales on Amazon through ideas on traffic and conversion rate improvements. Hit that subscribe button right now to tune in each week. And if you need more help, go to myamazonguy.com.